Hello, everyone, and welcome to Friend Diagram. This is the podcast where two friends catch up and find common ground between their favorite media. I'm Remy. I'm Kat. And today we will be discussing the films In the Mood for Love and 65. Warning, spoilers ahead. Hi, Kat, what's up? I already am thinking this is going to be a challenging friend diagram. Oh, really? (laughs) I really do. I have not seen your topic for the week, so well, I have I haven't no seen yours that. either, technically, Ooh. but I at least know what what the deal is trailer wise. Fair. I think we can do it. I mean, we're we're pros at this by now. We've never completely failed on one. No. They're both films. Listen, we've already got one. They're both films. <laughs> both films with men and women. <laughs> no dinosaurs in yours. No, sadly, no. Uh, um, but I mean, sometimes it's more fun when they're seemingly have nothing in common. I like so. the challenge. Uh, me too. I'm it's eager fun. for the challenge. It'll be fun. <laughs> How was your week? My week was fine. It was, I mean, it was very positive. Like lots of good things happened this week and oh, good. I'm feeling really good. But I was also just like unbelievably tired as well Mm -hmm. and had like extreme brain fog. So I'm finally feeling better today. I think it was like a combination of like hormonal things. And then also just like, I might've had like a tiny head cold or sinus infection starting out the week. And so I wasn't Mm -hmm. sleeping well because of that. And it all just compounded at the same time. Yeah. The head fog has been rolling in on my friend as well the past couple of days. So yeah, it's been a week. Um, but we did have Ted Lasso this week, oh, yeah. which was the best part of my week. I had such a good Season time. Season three began, so that was a welcome, a welcome surprise. Not that it was a surprise. I was surprised it was a Wednesday, though. I'm so used to uh, Friday yeah. releases for Apple, but it's fine with me. Yeah, midweek helps get me through it. Um, mm-hmm. Did you get the chance to watch the episodes yet? I watched. One. There's just one, right? Oh, was there just one? I, for some reason, I thought there were two, but we only uh-huh. watched one. I, it could have been like, you know how sometimes Apple will show you like the next the one? Yeah. yeah. So I think that might be what I saw, but we watched one this week and I went Same. over to my friend's house and my friend's partner cooked us a really nice dinner and. I just had the best time. I was like, I get dinner and Ted Lasso and friendship. It's lovely. <laughs> My that three favorite things. Oh, man. Uh, I can't wait till I live near friends and can do stuff like that. Yes. How was your week? Did you do anything eventful? Did I do anything eventful? I don't think so. It was a very stressful mm. and exhausting week. I don't have anything good to say about it, so I'll just probably keep it at that. (laughs) It sucked. (laughs) Oh, man. Our program director, every time we have this, like, joint meeting every week, um, he's like, it's March now, and everything gets better in March. And so you're just missing out on those pep talks now. Well, I have a major deadline that falls on the last day of March. And so as soon as March is over... uh, I think, like, a lot of the stress will be gone. Nice. But until then, it's just unpleasant. Well, March is halfway over, so... Yeah. It's almost done. 
And that will be April, and then new Ari Aster will be coming. Yes. Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah. Ugh, this is going to be an exciting year for film. July is, like, fucking stacked already. What's coming out in July? Oppenheimer, mm. Barbie, The Next Mission Impossible. And then I just saw, like, a fourth big release for, like, the first week of July. I can't remember what it is anymore offhand, but... Nice. All kinds of stuff. Yeah. There's some, like, exciting, like, in-development film announcements this week as well. Uh, there's a lot of chatter about Quentin Tarantino's next film going into production later this year. Mm-hmm. Next and final film, as they say, because he's always claimed that he's only, only going to make ten films, and this will be his tenth. Oh. So if he sticks to that self-imposed mandate, then it will be his final film. Huh, interesting. Do you have a favorite Quentin Tarantino film? That's a great question. I don't have a standout favorite, Mm -hmm. but there's like, there's a tight grouping at the top Mm -hmm. of like Inglorious Bastards, Django, Kill Bill, and I, I also think Death Proof is underrated. Those are like my top tier Tarantino's, but I don't know if I could pick between those. Yeah. It's it definitely probably be Kill Bill between, Yeah. I would say it would be either Django or Inglorious Bastards, probably. But another thing, I think I mentioned this before on the pod, but they've been um, disappearing from streaming, or at least from the streaming platforms that I have access to, mm-hmm. and I keep going to look to watch them and i can't fucking find any of them anymore oh no kill bill was on hbo for a really long time yeah inglorious bastards has been on my list for a really long time to watch and we Mm -hmm. just have not have not at this point but ever i've never seen it no Uh, i really didn't watch any quentin tarantino Prior to dating Scott, Scott was really, really when I started like dipping my toes in. I'd never seen like Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. which is definitely not like my fave. It's fine. It it's a cult classic, you know. But yeah, it's not in my top tier. Yeah, I mean it's a decent film, but there's definitely ones that I've liked a lot better than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. I'm very curious about that. I'll have to Google that. Is there any more information on the new Quentin Tarantino film? What's it going to be about? It's called, at this point in time, it's called The Film Critic. And there's been speculation. It's about this one particular influential female film critic from the 1970s. I'm forgetting her name right now, but Mm -hmm. I also heard that it might not be about her. So I think all we know is that it's called The Film Critic, and it takes place in 1970s LA. Hmm. Cool. Yeah, I think that's all we know. And that's, like, no in quotes. (laughs) (laughs) We need to come up with, like, a little name for this segment where you, like, update me on all of the trailers I've been missing. (laughs) Oh. I mean, this is, is like, proto- proto-trailer yeah. news. This is, like, the scuttlebutt of what's going into development. Oh, I have so much news. I'm just giving you, like, the headlines Remy's right now. Remy's radar. Remy's radar. What's on Remy's radar? Let's see. The next biggest piece of information on Remy's radar is I keep getting <laughs> casting announcements for PTA's next film as well. <laughs> um, God, can I remember offhand the four people that are going to be in it? Rebecca Hall... Ev- 
was reportedly cast. Leonardo DiCaprio was reportedly cast. Um, And then there were like two other big names. I can't remember them right now because I keep also seeing casting news for Gladiator 2, (laughs) which Ridley Scott is going (laughs) to apparently make soon, which is going to include Gladiator like the like movie Russell that had, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, Joaquin and Phoenix. Joaquin. Yeah. yeah. Apparently that's meant to have a Denzel Washington, Paul Meskel, and your guy and mine, Barry Keoghan in it. <laughs> <laughs> and so now that I learned that news, I like forgot the rest nice. of the PTA gossip. Uh-huh. I don't know. <laughs> this is like... <laughs> A troubling amount of information that means nothing at this point because it's all like pre-development shit. <laughs> yeah, I don't follow anything. I don't know what's going on at any given point, so this is nice. Mm-hmm. Um, Remy's radar. This concludes today. This week's segment of Remy's radar. I was picturing like playing a ten-second royalty-free clip of like Britney Spears's radar behind it. I don't know what that is. <laughs> oh, it's just a song by Britney Spears. It was popular when I was... Radar. V-Tiny. I know. I would think I would at least know it. I can't even remember any of the words, but... I'll look it up after. It just says radar a lot in the song. Hmm. Have you ever heard that uh, Britney Spears mashup of Toxic and the Russian, the USSR National (laughs) Anthem? No. Uh, I don't know how you missed it. <laughs> no, I have not. I have Let not. me make sure that I didn't dream that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess to provide a little bit more context, this is a mashup that I found on YouTube. I have no idea how or why, but it's by this channel called William... How would you even say his name? William Marancy Mashups. There's one mashup. It's a mashup of Party Rock Anthem and... Hans Zimmer's original score from Interstellar. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's the uh, time. Is that one of the tracks from that score? Oh, I don't. I've only ever seen that movie once. Anyway, it is, wow, it's really something. And it has one of my favorite YouTube comments of all time. And it simply says, this is the song they play in the credits at the end of the world. <laughs> and God, if that's not the truest thing I've ever read in my life, I don't know what is. Okay, yes, I found the thing that I was thinking of. It's called LMFAO Party Rock Anthem, But It's Time by Hans Zimmer. And if I'm going by the thumbnail, it might be from the Inception original score and not Interstellar, but Uh, who knows? I'll send you this as well. This is the one that plays in the credits at the end of the world. (laughs) I love his comments. I think this is one of my best mashups and everyone should be able to hear it. (laughs) (laughs) That one is pretty good. I like it. (laughs) He's got many. My YouTube algorithm's getting really weird now. Mm. I fell asleep with it on the other night. YouTube on. With autoplay on? Yep, and I woke up to just home improvement videos being played because I watched, (laughs) like, five of those never-too-small videos that we talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my YouTube algorithm was like, she loves this. 
Wait, and was, was it playing like, you videos about the concept of home improvement or like clips from the 90s TV show oh, starring no. Tim Allen? I was imagining Tim Allen. No idea. <laughs> I thought you were just watching clips <laughs> of Tim the Toolman Taylor. Oh, no. Uh, no. <laughs> I forgot that that existed until just oh, this moment. Oh, man. I thought your algorithm got really cool <laughs> while you were sleeping. <laughs> My algorithm will never get cool because I'm not cool. <laughs> wow, that was a digression, huh? <laughs> the Friday mood. We're recording this is on a big Friday. Friday energy. Yeah, yeah, we're recording on a Friday, not a Sunday. So we are coming right off the week mm-hmm. and into recording. So that's why it's a little bit more chaotic. Much more. But it's like it's good it's like when you feel happy to embrace the void because mm-hmm. the weekend's coming that's yeah. how i feel <laughs> <laughs> the void if is I coming could. to greet you <laughs> yeah oh my friend the void yeah <laughs> oh well you can jump in if you're ready okay yeah i guess we should get this show on the road we've covered a lot of ground so far <laughs> None of it has made any sense, <laughs> and so I have no sensible segue to get into my favorite piece of media this week, so let's just cut to it. I'm going to cover the new classic, In the Mood for Love, the 2000 film written and directed by Wong Kar Wai, and I saw this film for the first time this week. I don't remember the first time... I saw it, or, or like, heard of it, Mm -hmm. to get me interested in it, but I accumulated enough, like, buzz and mentions of it as being a must-see modern classic that I was like, all right, if I can find this, it's time to watch it, and it's on HBO Max right now, so I was like, oh, perfect, this is something I will watch when I'm trying to restore function in my brain after the stress and exhaustion of this week, and it was very restorative. Oh, good. Yeah. This film, it stars uh, Tony Lung Chi Wai and Maggie Chung Man Yuk as two neighbors that are living in this apartment building. They're like side-by-side neighbors mm-hmm. uh, in 1960s Hong Kong, and Over the course of the movie, they find out that their respective spouses are having an affair with one another, and they sort of build this relationship of, like, shared despair, Mm -hmm. shared melancholy over that revelation. Mm. So it's not exactly your favorite subject, (laughs) Kat. (laughs) This film very much centers on infidelity, (laughs) Um, but it does so in... A very unique way. Mm-hmm. So our two main protagonists are Mr. Chow. He's the husband in the scenario and Mrs. Chan, mm-hmm. the wife in the scenario. And you follow them as they settle into their apartments and it gradually both accumulate subtextual evidence that these infidelities are going on and then like further evidence still that it's with, like, the neighboring spouses. Mm. And so this infidelity is uncovered very gradually and very indirectly and very subtextually. Mm -hmm. 
and it's very gradual and subtle, and that fits with the overall tone of the film, which I think is one of my favorite things about it, because the pacing is very deliberate. It's not like high drama, like big yelling or screaming, like no one's ever doing any of that. It's very like deliberate, deliberately paced and more of like a melancholy and dreamy sort of tone. It's like very romantic noir, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And it is a very interesting tone that Wong Kar Wai pulled off because when you think of like a romantic noir type of tone, you think a lot of like black and white, stark, like grays and black contrast, you know, like Mm -hmm. a old time LA noir. But what's really interesting about this film is how visually vibrant it is. So even though it has that noir tone where it's like raining all the time and people are smoking inside and the lighting is incredible, Mm -hmm. it's very vibrant in terms of color and texture. Like it's a very sensual and sumptuous visual feast throughout Mm -hmm. the entire film. There's so many beautiful, rich, and vibrant colors and textiles and textures It's incredible looking, not just in the color palettes and textures, but also in the cinematography. So this film, you could probably teach a whole course, like a masterclass on framing from this single film alone. There is, I was watching um, a commentary video on it, I think by, on the Nerdwriter channel on YouTube. And I think Evan, the host of that channel, pointed out that it's at least like 10 or 15 minutes into the film when you get the first frame or the first like scene where a character isn't being framed by an object in the film frame. Mm-hmm. And that's incredible. Like that's so many shots with immaculate framing before you get to just like a regular like person only mm-hmm. image. And when you watch it with that in mind and you're looking at like how the structure of a wall is framing someone or a window or a desk or a table or whatever it's it's incredible the the thought that went into each shot composition mm-hmm. and like literally every every shot is beautiful and it's there must have been like so much care taken with that mm-hmm. that it's Oh, it's so, it's amazing. But because everyone is like framed in visually all the time, it adds to this kind of claustrophobic feeling that Mr. Chow and Mrs. Chan, I think, are feeling a lot Mm -hmm. in the film because they are hemmed in by all these other people in the, in the apartment building. And they're trapped there, like, waiting for their spouses to get home from their, like, business trips that they're Mm -hmm. always on. And they're, like, forming this relationship with one another out of, like, shared shared distress. Mm -hmm. But they also are, like, super self-conscious that they don't want the neighbors to think that they're, like, forming a romantic relationship. So they, like, take all this extra care to not like show up at the same time or leave at the same time or do anything that might be perceived as 
like suspicious. Mm -hmm. So they're constantly aware of being observed and you get that really like claustrophobic feeling that Mm -hmm. they're experiencing. But like I said, the cinematography is just killer and the lighting is amazing. Like, especially when everyone is smoking, (laughs) the lighting looks incredible. Mm -hmm. And there's really good use of like shadow and silhouette. Like there's a lot of really nice exterior on the streets of Hong Kong shots where people are walking in silhouette and going up and down stairwells. And it's all very romantic and noir and classic looking. Um, they really nailed the, the sixties look, I mm-hmm. guess. Not that I know what 1960s Hong Kong looked like exactly, but, um, another like standout feature of the film is the, excellent styling and to me that really made it feel like a really classic era Mm -hmm. type story because the outfits are killer um wow incredible outfits in this film especially mrs chan her tailor is (laughs) amazing (laughs) all of her dresses are like incredible prints that are tailored perfectly she wears the shit out of those dresses and wow everyone's outfits are great especially hers the hair everyone's hair is incredible very like 60s silhouette oh yeah very 60s everything it looks beautiful i'm not always like a big wardrobe person but wow in this film you notice how immaculate it is yeah, wall, I love wall, those like high necked. She has that that neckline Incredible. on every every outfit it looks really great pretty. on her. She has like the kind of neck that you can pull that off with. Yeah, <laughs> a very elegant neck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a funny thing about her outfits and uh, a, uh, a feature of the film is that it's sometimes hard to tell how much time is passing. Um, when you're jumping from scene to scene, you don't always know whether it's the same day moments later or days later or weeks later. And the best way to keep track of it is actually just to know that like Mrs. Chan wasn't wearing that in the last scene. So now Mm -hmm. I know it's a different day (laughs) and it really helps because all of her looks are very distinct Mm -hmm. and so noticeable. And, um, I can obviously be like, oh, you know, this is a different day now. She's got this dress on instead. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's kind of has a subtly non-traditional way of playing with time. Not like in a weird, like Chris Nolan sort of way, mm-hmm. but just, um, you kind of have to pay attention, I suppose, a little bit more than normal. Yeah. And do you think that that also plays into like the claustrophobic feel too? Because when I think about like being kind of like crowded in, like living in an apartment, and not having like as much space. There's also just like less to do and less to like, I don't know. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it kind of just makes me think like the lives that these people are leading are like just waiting for their people to return home to them. And like their world is kind of small and therefore time feels like it doesn't really exist as much. I don't know. I think you're like half right in that, because they're constantly waiting, 
if time actually looms very large mm-hmm. in their lives because people like the nosy neighbors are always like, Oh, when is your husband returning from mm-hmm. his trip? And Mrs. Chan has to keep saying, Oh, soon, soon. But like between almost every scene, there's like a cut to a huge close up of a clock face. And it's like, he's oh. been gone for three fucking months. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, time, I think looms really large, mm-hmm. but it's so. It's just such like a dreamy tone yeah. that they're not saying, oh, it's Monday now and, you know, this guy's been gone for this amount of time. You just get the feeling that time is passing yeah. and it hurts every day that it's passing. Mm-hmm. And you don't know the quantity of time, but you see the emotional weight of time, if that yeah. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um And yeah, actually, like speaking about the pacing, you eventually end up tracking this relationship over like at least a few years. And so it's a striking, it's a striking feat of storytelling because in the grand scope of the film, you're covering a few years, but you also get the sense through like watching repeated scenes of daily routines, you get a very, very firm sense of what these people are doing on a day-to-day basis. Like you Mm -hmm. see Mrs. Chan getting noodles from the same noodle stall like a bunch of times. And you know, that's part of her nightly routine when her husband doesn't come home and she has to eat alone. Mm -hmm. And you watch Mr. Chow go to work and um, like use the machines that he uses like, I think it's printing press type stuff mm-hmm. that he's doing at work. And you watch all these repeated, repeated actions and you feel like you completely understand these characters and what their lives are like, mm-hmm. uh, even though you're just getting a snapshot in a larger scope of time. Mm-hmm. You just get like a really full sense of who they are. And that's because this film does another thing that I think is really interesting and important. And it's that it focuses very tightly on Mr. Chow and Mrs. Chan, even to the exclusion of their spouses, whose faces you never even see in the film whatsoever. So even though they like loom large emotionally and their absences are like a huge point of tension you never see them because it's not about them. It's about our two main characters mm-hmm. and everything is tracking them. Like one of them or both of them are in every scene of the film. Mm-hmm. So you are like tightly focused on them and their, their evolving emotional states mm-hmm. and their evolving relationship. And I really like that. I like that it doesn't focus on extraneous people that are kind of shitty. It's just about our people. And that really also adds to the feeling of intimacy in the Mm -hmm. film as well. Because it's a very intimate film. It's a very romantic film. It's a very emotional film. As you watch these two people get closer and closer and struggle with their feelings and struggle with, like, not wanting to admit how they're feeling and not wanting to be like their spouses Mm -hmm. and wanting to be better than them, but also wanting to be happy and Mm -hmm. also wanting not to be like socially ridiculed and having all of these 
competing tumultuous feelings inside. And all of that is simmering under the surface of these two, like, very stoic people. And it's, <laughs> it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, it's a very emotionally rich, subtextually rich film. And you have to do a lot of, like, face reading, I suppose, and a double reading of dialogue. But it's just really well done, very subtle, very layered, and it just incredible to look at. I won't, you know, give away how things end or anything like that, but it's definitely worth a watch. And for a film that kind of keeps you guessing, I really like it that there's like a couple different readings of what happens in this film off camera. So Mm -hmm. it's a film that you could watch and then discuss with your friends and be like, do you think these people did this or do you think this happened? I think there's different ways to read the film Mm -hmm. and there's like multiple interpretations that could be right. And I really enjoy that. Um, I've been thinking about it after I watched it earlier this week and I'm like, oh, I wonder if this meant that or I wonder if that was that. But Mm -hmm. no matter what conclusion you come to, it's such a beautiful film to see. I started watching it again before we recorded tonight. And now that I like have all of the like social information downloaded, I can focus even more on what is happening visually on screen. And it's just like even better. <laughs> yeah. Did I even mention how the, the score too? I forget I if I mentioned so. that. Oh, the score also. They use. Wong Kar Wai, he uses a couple key um, musical motifs Mm -hmm. extremely effectively. So there's a beautiful score that's string-based that really captures the, like, painful longingness of the Mm -hmm. film. And then they use a Spanish-language version of the song Perhaps, Perhaps, Perhaps that also is, like, extremely well employed in key moments and between those two like repeated musical motifs it really like builds on top of everything you're seeing like in the actors performances and in the way that the the scenes have been layered and structured and Mm -hmm. the way you've gotten to know those characters everything culminates in just a a perfect synchrony and it just like plunges you right back into that world when you hear that score hit again mm-hmm. and uh it's all extremely well done yeah i just highly recommend it it's a full sensory experience and yeah. god it's just wonderful wonderful filmmaking yeah i've never even heard of this film which doesn't necessarily surprise me because i'm not like super in in touch but um this looks really good. I yeah. will definitely put this on the list for Scott and I to watch because I think that he'll really enjoy this as well. Yeah. And I think even though it deals with infidelity, mm-hmm. which you don't normally enjoy, it is like not salacious whatsoever yeah. or mean spirited. It yeah. is like on the side of, you know, the, the sympathetic parties. And yeah. I think. I mostly don't like infidelity in media when it's being used for, like, a shock factor almost type thing. And Mm -hmm. that, like, really 
eats away at me and I don't particularly care for that. Um, but this, yeah, this seems very different and I mean, I'll give anything a try. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It is definitely, um, not used in that way. Mm -hmm. And you said that was streaming on HBO. Yeah. It's on HBO max right now. Cool. So my pick for the week is a new movie out. This movie just came out March 10th of 2023, and it is a movie called 65. It was directed by Brian Woods and Scott Beck. They are a director duo from the Quad City area, which is really cool because that's like where I went to college and, (laughs) and like, close to where I grew up. So it's kind of cool to see their work be so successful. Um, they're really well known for their involvement in writing A Quiet Place with John Krasinski, which was a fantastic film, like one of my favorite horror films in recent years. And um, so one really cool thing that them kind of growing up in Iowa and um, having like a really good relationship with um, the University of Iowa and things like that led to is they actually did a um, special event at our local cinema and you emailed me to give me a heads up about (laughs) it, which I really appreciated because when I bought my tickets for it, there were only single seats left and there were only a handful of seats in this theater. And so I was really excited that I even got a seat And they like came and uh, viewed the movie with us and did a really cool Q&A after the movie, which was awesome. And I, I didn't even really know what to expect with that, but it was just really interesting. And I feel like I learned so much about like the whole process of like creating a film from that because I don't know. I'm not really one to like watch interviews all the time and things like that. I just, um, kind of take everything at face value, but it, I just felt like I learned so much and it was such a cool experience. So that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really loved this film. I kind of went into it a little bit unsure of what it was going to be. I was kind of picturing like, a popcorn movie, which we both know mm-hmm. I love a popcorn movie. Um, and it for sure was that. It's definitely a popcorn film. And when they were introducing the film, the directors described it as a popcorn film about death, which definitely intrigued me. Yeah. I was like, Ooh, I'm listening even more I have, now. I, I've been hooked. And yeah. <laughs> I would say that that's a really accurate characterization. So the film centers around... Two main characters, Mills, who is played by Adam Driver. He is a pilot from a planet and he is basically transporting a bunch of like cryopods, um, across the universe, most likely for some kind of like colonization project where they're like taking all of these people across the galaxies to Mm -hmm. colonize other places. And his ship gets hit by some debris and he crash lands on a planet. And the planet that he lands on is Earth 65 million years ago. And so the first thing Mills does once they crash land and he wakes up 
he starts looking for survivors and pretty much everyone that was on the ship in these cryopods, when the cryopods failed, all these people died. Mm. And so there's like this really horrific scene where he's just like finding these bodies floating in like swamps and you just see like his despair. Like he really has no reason, no like way to get off the planet. And you see him kind of way like, is it worth calling for a rescue because he's the only survivor of this crash? Mm-hmm. And the really important turning point is he finds one survivor, a young girl named Koa, who's played by Ariana Greenblatt. And together they decide to find a way to leave the planet and get back to their home planet. And to do so, they have to overcome lots of different threats of living in this prehistoric environment, knowing Mm. what to eat and what not to eat, and also fighting off dangerous dinosaurs, which is why we're all there. So Mm -hmm. very cool film. I don't want to give away much more than that, just because I know you haven't seen it. And Mm -hmm. um, all I can say is that I just I really loved where it all went and what they did with the film. Yeah, I wanna, I really wanna try to go see it tomorrow, actually. Yeah, I hope you do. I planned to see it opening weekend and then had like a crazy amount of work last minute. Mm-hmm. And so I really wanna try to get away tomorrow and watch it. Yeah. Especially cause it's like a really like <clears throat> reasonable runtime. It's like an hour and a half. Yeah. So good. Yeah. I was actually going to try to get out of work early today to go rewatch it before Ooh. this episode, and I didn't get the chance to. I decided oh, to fun. take a bath instead, and <laughs> it was just as relaxing. Yeah. So, um, but I do want to see it again, and I'm planning to go see it next week when I am away for the honeymoon. We have like a night before our trip leaves, so... Mm. We're going to try to make it to the theater and go see this before it leaves because I had such a great time watching it and I would watch it a million more times in the theaters if I could. Cool. So I really like, I really like that this is a popcorn film. Like it was really fun to watch, but it was also really meaningful and had like a lot of really like quiet and contemplative moments in it where there's a lot about like grief and loss. And I think that that's a ubiquitous thing in the world. Like everyone has experienced that emotion in some way, shape or form. And I think that this um, is explored in the relationship between Koa and Mills specifically, because they are unable to communicate like they speak two very different languages and so Mills is completely unable to verbally communicate with Koa Mm -hmm. and they form this relationship on shared grief and that's like one of the things that ties them together and allows them to trust each other and um I just I think that it was done really beautifully and that the language barrier was like an intentional choice by the writers and the directors to show that like there are multiple ways to deal with your grief. Like you can let your grief isolate you or you can use it to drive you forward and to motivate you to grieve with another person or help another person through a struggle and it can unite people together. And I just thought that that was a really different way to explore that. And one that I hadn't really seen before. 
And I really liked that. Another thing that I really liked about this film is that they did not do what I expected them to do in multiple parts of the film. So Ooh, I love there that. were moments where I was like baited into these like action movie tropes where I was like, ah, oh, dang it. Like they're really going to do this like self-sacrificing thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they would flip the tables and like it it wouldn't be what I thought it was going to be. And I was cool. like, so satisfied by that. I was like, yes. Like, cause I truly like, there were moments where I was like, oh man, I wish you hadn't done that. And, <laughs> and then they like turned it on its head and I loved that. Oh yeah. Um, and I, I just, I really think they like hit every like checkbox that I have for a popcorn movie. Like I was surprised. I was spooked. Like I was like, (gasps) and (laughs) I was like, I was next to like this kid and he and I were like having the same reactions. We were both like, (laughs) it was great. It was so fun. And so I was spooked. I was happy. And like, I was laughing. And I just think that they like put it all together in a way that like really flowed well. Like it never felt like disjointed or just like strange. Like why would they be making this joke here or whatever? Mm -hmm. Like I just felt like it all connected so well. And it, it just like, it really worked for me. I also loved the tech in this film. They had like really cool sci-fi tech, which just like scratches a perfect itch for me. Mm -hmm. It's like a cool gun and cool little grenade things. Yeah, and I was going to say the gun in the trailer looked really cool. It was cool. It was great. And I I don't know. I just love this film. I feel like a little kid. Like, it did it all. Mm-hmm. And it, like, didn't take itself too seriously either. Like, there were, like, really sweet moments between Koa and Mills. There were really, like, heartbreaking moments between them. But, like, Overall, there were, like, a lot of really funny moments, Mm. and they had a really great banter, even though they couldn't communicate with one another, and it was mostly, like, them talking to themselves, (laughs) like, Uh sarcastically to themselves, like, (laughs) under their breath in their own language, and that was just really funny to me, and I, I thought it just, like, worked so well, and... The last thing that I thought was kind of funny, but like it's more of like a personal anecdote is there's a scene right at the beginning of the film where Mills is teaching his daughter. They're like out at the beach for beach day while he's home and he's teaching his daughter to do a loon call. And oh, you she's, love like, call. <laughs> she's like having trouble and it's like this really heartwarming scene. Wait, there's loons where he's from? I guess so. I I don't. Yeah, it's just like some kind of bird call, but it's it's like what we would consider a loon call. Yeah, I don't know. And so he's like trying to teach her, and it's really funny because Scott tried to teach me how to do a loon call when yeah. we were like a couple years into dating, and I was getting so cranky because I could not do it and I couldn't make it work, and <laughs> I was like blowing too hard it was like all of like the troubleshooting steps that they walk through in this like scene like I had to go through and so I just thought it was really funny that it was like something that I specifically related to so strongly wow but yeah I loved this film I highly recommend going to see it in the theater I thought it was just such a cool experience and I think that they did a lot of really clever things in this film 
that I really enjoyed. Um, one of the fight scenes really sticks out in my mind. Ooh. There's, um, I should have talked about this when I was talking about the tech, but there's basically like a proximity monitor so that mm-hmm. if you, even if you can't see what's around you, it can like almost echolocate and form a picture. And, um, there's a moment where Adam Driver's character is like tussling with a dinosaur in the dark and <laughs> you're watching the whole fight on like this echolocation display, display cool. which is so cool and like I just think that like they use darkness really well in this film and it was it was just like very visually interesting but the last thing I want to say about this film is that if you were hesitating on seeing this movie because of the advertising and because the advertising made it seem like it's a time travel movie you should know that it's not a time travel movie (laughs) Because it kind of seemed like there was like a time jump happening. Like Adam Driver was from Earth in the future and then went like through a wormhole or something and ended up 65 million years in the past. That was like how a lot of people interpreted the trailer. (laughs) And one thing that they talked about in the Q&A was that the marketing people kind of made the advertising material kind of confusing and it Mm -hmm. didn't really get the essence of the movie across and like what the movie was actually about across. And I think if, if you like, I mean, if you liked Star Wars and you liked Jurassic Park and you liked action movies like that, you'll probably like this. And they definitely transcended what I thought this film was going to be, which was really cool. So try to see it in the theater, support your local cinemas and, Mm -hmm. um, support, good movies being made yeah and like up and coming directors yeah yeah Yeah, it was really cool awesome yeah i really want to go tomorrow i'm almost certain i will are there like a lot of really cool uh, prehistoric ecosystems and stuff like that because i love like just seeing people's renderings of like jurassic era plant life and that sort of thing um yeah so that was really interesting I was actually kind of brave and I asked a question during the Q&A, which is Ooh. I my heart was beating so fast and I blacked <laughs> out for the answer, but it was <laughs> it was fine. Um I didn't black out, but um you basically did. <laughs> basically what I wanted to know was like what the research process looked like going into a film like this because so let me rewind. During the Q&A, they talk about how a lot of the sites that they filmed at were not, like, CGI recreated. They were, like, a lot of places that have never been put on film and, like, waterfalls that have never been seen on film before and swamps and things like that. But practical things. But practical. So there is, like, a lot of CGI. Like, the dinosaurs are pretty much all CGI and things like that. But... Mm -hmm. Like the, the scenery is all practical and it was really cool. cool to hear their experience with that. But I wanted to know like why they chose the locations that they did and like what the research looked like going into that and whether or not they hired consultants or they did it by themselves and things like that. And they kind of talked about the process of hiring consultants and finding out that the Pacific Northwest used to be a lot of like swampland. So they did like a lot of swamp scenes and things like that. And it ended up being really cool. So the scenery in that sense kind of reminded me of like, you know, in Synchronic when he ends up in like the swamp, Mm -hmm. that 
that's what it like kind of felt like in a lot of places. And I thought that that was like so prehistoric and really interesting. Nice. And I know that they also shot a lot of it in like Louisiana. So Mm -hmm. also the swamps there and things like that, but very cool. Um, very hard to do because swamps are not easy to film in and they can like eat your trucks and (laughs) all of your like important equipment, but. I just thought that, like, the environments were so beautiful, and I would love to go visit those places because it's just crazy that we have such, like, unappreciated beauty in the U.S. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So I don't know necessarily that there was, like, a lot of, like, actual prehistoric foliage and stuff, but there was a lot of foliage, and there were a lot of really cool scenes in the woods. There were, like, these tar pits. I don't Mm -hmm. know what... That was if that actually exists here or what? There's tar pits in California in like terrifying, terrifying. Never want to end up in a tar pit. Let me just tell you that it was real gross. That'd be a bad scene. Um, but yeah, there's like multiple scenes where Adam Driver's just like absolutely covered in tar. (laughs) So it's very stressful, but like very so good. Yeah, I don't want to spoil anything. Okay. I was about to like launch into a spoiler, but don't I, spoil, don't I spoil. cannot wait to talk to you about this after you see it because it was just such a good film. I cool. thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm so glad you liked it. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this. I mentioned it on our um, top most five anticipated. <laughs> Gosh, <laughs> can't talk. I'm so glad it turned out. Yes, yeah. I think that's the my favorite movie I've watched this year. Oh, cool. Probably. I'd be surprised if it didn't make my, like, top five at the end of the year, honestly. Wow, that's big talk. And I've also had time to, like, digest it, and mm-hmm. it's not as much recency bias because I watched it at least a week ago. Mm-hmm. And, like, my excitement about it has really stayed, and I can't wait to hear what Scott thinks about it. When we yeah. go watch it, because it's just all of my favorite things. Like, yeah, I love dinosaurs. They, they talked about in the Q&A how the dinosaurs weren't necessarily meant to look like the most realistic dinosaurs, right? Because you're viewing them as though they're like alien creatures. And yeah. like, because for Koa and um, Mills, they are totally alien. Like yeah. they did not come from a planet that had dinosaurs. So... I think that they like amp that up with the CGI and make them look like more uncanny than our like traditional depictions of like what a T-Rex would look like or mm. what like velociraptors would look like. And they're like more in this like uncanny valley of like what you would expect a dinosaur to look like. It, Interesting. I just think it like worked really well. Um, Cause at mm-hmm. first I was a little skeptical and I was like, that dino's real smooth. So I feel like he shouldn't be so smooth. <laughs> so smooth. Um, but like it worked and it made them like so much more creepy because they weren't mm. just like your normal Jurassic Park dinosaur that we've been kind of like desensitized to, mm-hmm. you know? Big lizard. Big lizard. So good. I love this film. Um, I can't wait to hear what you think when you, when you go see it. I'm excited. I feel like. I definitely had some thanks for our friend Diagram Me while too. we were talking, so yeah. I don't think it was uh, too much of a stretch. No, I think we, uh, I think we're in good shape. Are you yeah. ready? Yeah, I am. If you are, 
Yeah. What did our two favorites have in common? So one thing that I have written down is kind of an assumption based on your description. It seems like your film had a pretty small cast, especially in terms of like main characters and like Mm -hmm. it doesn't really seem like there are too many side characters. Correct? Yes. Yeah. It's very tightly focused on the two main characters. And then you get to know like a couple other named neighbors or like co-workers. But gotcha. it's mostly just our two main people. Yeah. And 65 has an extremely small cast. It only has like five people casted in it, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's mostly just a story about Koa and Mills and mm-hmm. like you get some flashback scenes and things like that, but it's pretty much just a story about these two people. So that was one overlap that I had is that both of these films focus very tightly on just two characters and their relationship with one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you were talking about how um, Koa and Mills form a connection or a bond over their shared loss. Mm-hmm. And that's also the central um, arc of In the Mood for Love, in that Mr. Chow and Mrs. Chan are forming this very tight bond over the loss of their marriages, essentially. Mm-hmm. And that that shared grief brings them together and makes them latch on to each other in in a particular way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I also thought that um, based on your description, there was this overlap of this melancholy tone. And very much. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that unexpectedly 65 had so many like quiet moments where there was just like sadness and grief being portrayed in Mm -hmm. a really effective way. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one overlap between the two for sure. Yeah, definitely moments of quiet contemplation. Um, Like Mr. Chow standing out on the street, like framed in shadow, thinking Mm. about how his wife said she was working late, but when he showed up where she works, her boss said she went home early and stuff like that. And then you just watch him stand there and think about it. Yeah. Tisk, tisk, tisk. <laughs> Don't cheat on your partners. You're Don't getting do it. riled now. Cat <laughs> does not approve. Did you have any other overlaps? No, I think that was all I had on my list. Yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, I think we had some solid as hard ones. as I thought it would be. Yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely have to watch. In a mood, in the mood for love. I want to yeah. say in a mood for love. In a mood. <laughs> in a mood. I'm in a mood. <laughs> I would love to know what what you and Scott think of it if you guys watch it together. Yeah. Oh, what a beautiful film. Yeah, it looks so pretty. I can see exactly what you're saying about like the noir vibe to mm-hmm. it. Yeah, I've never seen something so noir but so vibrant. Mm-hmm. Incredible stuff. Yeah. Cool. I like those picks. Yeah, we did it. We did it. (laughs) And now it's straight into the weekend. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. And we'll see you next week on Friend Diagram. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us this week on Friend Diagram. 
Thank you to Tyler Seek for the creation of our intro and outro music. Did you take any of our recommendations? Have any thoughts on the show? Let us know at friendiagrampod at gmail.com and we might read your email on a future episode. If you can, please take a moment to rate and review the show on your podcast app of choice. And we'll see you back here, same place, next week. Bye for now.